Are you playing to win or are you playing not to lose? That's the magic question and we dive into today on this brand new episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. Let's go. Everybody wants to win, but not everyone's willing to compete to win. Since you are here, that means you are one who will, who will show up, who will compete, who will do the work day after day until you succeed. And that means I'm excited to start the day with you. My name is Jake Thompson. I'm the Chief Encouragement Officer here at Compete Every Day. And I'm on a mission to empower, encourage, and equip driven people just like yourself with the knowledge and motivation to compete every day for the things that matter and the people they love. This is the Compete Every Day Podcast. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Compete Every Day Podcast. As we are joined today with Complete Performance Coaching founder Rebecca Smith, sports psychologist that we're going to dive into her story of going from playing not to lose, of avoiding failure, of quitting every time something in life got hard, to changing her mindset and changing her life by learning how to play to win. So we're going to talk about her journey and specific things that she did that you can apply to shift your mindset out of that fear-based playing not to lose being tight, being locked up into how you can show up in your work, your workouts, and your life, and play to win. My name's Jake Thompson. I'm the founder and chief encouragement officer here at Compete Every Day, and I'm excited that you're here for this brand new episode, whether this is your very first episode of the Compete Every Day podcast, or you've been with us for all, oh man, I think we're over 300 right now. I appreciate you being here. I'm excited for today's conversation because Rebecca and I just jammed for a while on some really important topics and more than that, some applications you can use to improve how you show up and compete today. As we dive into this week's show, I want to remind you of two cool ways that you can get plugged in and better compete every day. The first is to join our morning text club. All you got to do is text the word podcast to 972-945-9113. That's word podcast to 972-945-9113. And every single morning, I'm going to start the day by sending you a text message with a message of motivation, encouragement, maybe a way to help you focus and get out and win today. It's free to sign up. Text and message data rates may apply from from your local provider but it's free to get signed up and join. So it's text podcast to 972-945-9113. And if you're enjoying the show, you want to get plugged in even further to build your winning mindset, to be a competitor, head on over to competeeveryday.com. Grab the code podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T. It's the same one you text to join the club. This one's going to get you 15% off any order at competeeveryday.com. Pick up a new shirt, tank, or you can grab a copy of my book, Compete Every Day, The Not-So-Secret Secrets to Winning Your Work and Life, to discover the seven key choices champions make every single day. Every chapter is going to dive in with stories and examples of how to apply this, and at the end of every chapter, we include some takeaways and applications for your career, for your training, your health, and for your life. So head on over to competeeveryday.com, use code podcast to get 15% off any order. And now, let's welcome to the show and have a fantastic conversation about getting better, building a championship mindset, and learning how to play to win with Rebecca Smith. Rebecca, welcome to the Compete Everyday Podcast. 
Thanks, Jake. So happy to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to today's conversation. We've had a chance to connect offline a little bit. And, and so I know our listeners are in for quite a treat. Uh, but before we kind of dive into some of the things you do today, I'm curious where your passion or perhaps interest on the mental side of sports and really life more than anything really started to peak in terms of what made you want to pursue a career on the mental side? Yes. So there was one moment where I knew like, I want to be a sports psychologist. I was 12 years old. I was at gymnastics camp. I was a gymnast and I was always the team head case, basically, you know, I, my, my loving nickname for myself. I was the kid who shook so hard on the beam that I got low scores. I didn't even fall. I just was convulsing with nerves. And then I would get scared going backwards. I had all these skills that I really wanted. Everyone told me about my talent and my potential, but I just couldn't get beyond my own self basically. And so I was at camp and the sports psychologist had all the gymnasts lay out across the floor and close our eyes. And she had us imagine ourselves doing a skill that was on our goals list. So I had this one skill that I was scared of that I was like, oh man, if I could do that skill, that would be so amazing. I imagined it happening. And then that week I get up on the beam and I do the skill. And I was like, sold, like sign me up. I want to, this is what I want to do for a living. That is the coolest job. It's basically like mind magic that allows kids to move their bodies like however they want to. And so that was a, it wasn't a direct route to that career, but I knew at age 12, like this is what right. I want to do. Man, er, early, early on, because for a lot of us, what we might've thought we were going to do at age 12 was definitely not where we ended up going. I want to talk a little bit about your journey, but you mentioned something right there that kind of sparked a question in my head. And, and that is while you were struggling, everyone was telling you how good your talent was, how much potential you have. And a lot of times we do that as encouragement for others, mm -hmm. but it's not always the most helpful thing in that moment because yeah. you're kind of like, oh, cool. I'm really talented, but I can't do this. I'm struggling here. Talk yes. about what you see with athletes today and, and where that balance is in terms of, of how we encourage and perhaps remind them of their capabilities but not doing so to where it's like, yeah, I know that, but I can't do anything about this. Yes. Okay. There's a, there's a book called mindset mm -hmm. uh, written by Dweck yep. and it, and basically what happens is if we, if we're in the habit of praising intelligence or talent, what happens is it creates a fixed mindset in athletes. So essentially what I, what I believed in my youth was that I got dealt this, this hand of cards and my hand of cards said, you are very smart. You are very flexible. You are, you are socially awkward. You are not good at, you know, it's, it was sort of like, this is who you are yep. and this is all you get. So make the best of it. So when people said, you know, you're talented, but then my body wasn't doing things that made that feel right. I felt like an imposter. So I was basically walking around with imposter syndrome. Like they think I'm talented, but they don't know that I'm not. They think I'm smart, but maybe I'm not so smart. And so I felt like I was always having to pretend I was okay. I'm fine. I'm talented. I'm great. I'm smart. I was always sort of like putting on this facade so that I felt like I, nobody was falling for it, you know, so that they weren't going to realize that I actually had this hand of cards that was like, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. So when, when, when athletes hear a lot about talent and then they have, they hit a wall, they feel like either I'm damaged. I've done something wrong. I'm not, basically I'm not as good as they think I am. And what that does is it, it creates this shame that makes them want to go inside and not ask for help and not get the coaching that they need to allow that 
those physical capabilities to emerge. So it's those perfectionists that actually really get stuck. Yeah, as a recovering perfectionist myself, and, and I want to ask you about that. But before I do, along the same lines with the growth and fixed mindset, we've talked about that here on the show. So some of our listeners should be familiar with it. It's the same reason, especially when kids are early, we we focus on praising the process, how good of a teammate you are, how hard you work versus solely how many goals did you score? How many hits did you get so that they don't fixate solely on the hit, and especially from an affection and a parent standpoint of only yes. getting affection when I go four for four versus what happens when I'm over for four. Yes. I played soccer when I was a kid. I was never that great at soccer, but I was a really good defender. And my, my family had this, you know, like this policy, if you score a goal, you get ice cream. And I don't think I scored a goal my entire soccer career because I was a great defender and you should yeah. not be scoring goals. If you're, I was, I mean, I would take kids out. I was like full contact seven-year-old out there, like kneecapping girls. Like I was a fierce defender. Not that that's necessarily recommended, but I never got, I never got praised that I noticed because in my family it was my little brother who was always getting us ice cream because he was scoring goals because he played offense. So it's like attaching worth to outcomes like that can really backfire. Cause I felt like, oh, I'm not, I'm obviously not as good as him because I yeah. can't score goals. That's, and that creates obviously a tough relationship piece between you and your brother, as well as the parents. And so I wanted to reinforce that. Cause that always is one of the things that comes up and, and I always have it in conversation of, of heavily pressing it. Because a lot of times in the workplace as well, like we focus heavily on the sale outcome and things like that and don't pay as sometimes as much attention to the process that creates that result and how hard somebody's working it and how, you know, we go about that to get better at the process to, to create the outcome. So I appreciate you sharing that. My own perspective is very similar to yours, except not being a very good gymnast, but struggling with that fixed mindset. And it was interesting for me because I grew up hearing, you know, you're just, you're naturally smart, you're gifted. And I would avoid, I don't know about you, but like sports, I got it. Like, I'm going to get better. I'm going to train. Like, I understand I can add strength, skills, whatever. But in school, I tried to avoid challenges that would be tougher classes, things where I might think my intelligence or this idea of being smart would be challenged or changed, somebody's opinion changed. Did you have that same? Because I, it sounds like you struggled on the sports vein and, and had been told a lot of this stuff. Did it also mirror in school growing up or, or did you have a completely different outlook there? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I can remember a computer science class I took my first year in college I had never felt so stupid in my entire life. I was like, I do not understand the zeros and the ones. And I, and so this, like, I've always been gifted. I've always been, you know, excited, skipped a grade and graduated at 16. And so it was always sort of like pushed through. And anytime something felt hard like that, it was like a wall. Like I can't, the end, it was all or nothing. It was like, I, and I remember a couple of classes in college that I was like, this is too hard. I quit. And that actually became sort of my mantra from, I quit gymnastics at 14, quit college at 17, quit a marriage at 22. I was like this like serial quitter because it was like too hard. I quit too hard. I quit because I was so used to being good at things that I didn't want to, I didn't want to play any games I wasn't good at. And I had to completely change my life strategy around like age 23. Cause I was like, I cannot live like this. I can't just say it's too hard. I can't do it for everything that I'm not acing. I, well, so I want to ask you, and, and we can totally edit this section if you don't want to answer the question. 
Um, but when you talk about that, of, of what am I not acing? And when I think about that, of, of, of quitting school, quitting college, quitting a marriage, the marriage one is the one that, that stuck out to me because it's a lot of public persona and opinions of what people think of other people when they get divorced. And, and a lot of people stay in unhealthy relationships longer because they want to look like they've got it all together versus starting over. And so I'm curious your perspective at that time of choosing to quit. And then what was really a tipping point for you years later that made you start accepting challenges? Okay. So that I remember specifically kind of in the, in the ramp up to leaving this marriage, I had this big awareness that I had been living my entire life not to lose. So I got married because I didn't want to be alone. I didn't get married because it was like the guy. I was like, this is good enough. So I had sort of been settling and it had been like, well, I just don't want to fall off the beam. So I'm going to go small. I just don't want to be alone forever. So I'll marry this guy. Well, I just don't want to be poor. So I'll do this job that I don't really like. It was, I was playing not to lose as a life strategy. And then anytime something was too hard, I was like, oh, I'm going to lose. So I, I can't. So I just would, I was so anxious that I was going to fail. It was like, this totally holds over from my gymnastics, from my, you know, the whole culture of youth sports. It's like perfection, perfection. That I was like setting the bar very low so that I could hit it. Because if I couldn't hit it, then I was no good. So, and then finally it was that, literally that week that I left that, that husband, the poor sweet, sweet man who ended up with me during that time in my life. I was like, all right, I need to start playing to win. Like I need to start playing to win in a way that I don't have to like wake up and feel miserable every day. Like, what do I really want? And it was actually during that time where I was like, okay, everything I think I know about life is wrong. And I just opened my mind and was like, it doesn't have to be a certain way. I don't have to have kids by a certain day. I don't have to have like this amount of money or this house or that like, that's not what it's about. And I opened my mind and was like, what makes me happy? And I went back to start coaching gymnastics. That was, you know, after having had a, a real estate career and like all of these sort of cash and prizes that just didn't make me satisfied. I was like, you know what? I love coaching gymnastics. So I'm going to start with that. And that was sort of the beginning of like, all right, who am I going to be in this world? How am I going to play to win? Can I, can I pull a little bit at that? I'm curious when you started asking yourself that, what makes me happy? How can I start playing to win instead of playing not to lose? What, what did you do to process a lot of those thoughts? Were you journaling? Were you, you meeting with someone? Because a lot of times like we'll have these sparks and then for a lot of people, they don't know how to process it. So they're never able to, to make that action step forward. Yes. So there were, there were critical humans in my life. There were sort of spiritual guides and, and mentors and people who once I, it's sort of like when the student is ready, the teacher appears. I started attracting people into my life who it was like all of these mother figures and all of these, these people who were walking a similar path who were like, I don't want to just like be a 23 year old burnout. Like I want to, I want to do something here. And I moved to Northern California and I just, it was like this big change and everyone around me was on the same path. It was like, it was like, I just belonged there. You know, I feel like life just lines up when you're ready to, to create the situation. So I had a few really critical women in my life who, you know, one in particular, when I decided to go back to school, I went to community college, was like, I can't, it's too hard. It was that same old story. And she's like, Hey, Rebecca, just show up tomorrow. 
just do the work for today and show up tomorrow. And I was like, okay. And so then I'd call her again in a week. It's too hard. It's, I, I don't know. I can't balance it all. I work at two jobs. And she's like, just show up tomorrow. And she just kept it in perspective for me that, you know what? You don't have to do the whole seven years of college today. You just have to do today at community college, your one psychology class. You just got to do that. And then little by little, and I swear I called this woman like every two weeks for seven years. And she's like, just show up and keep doing what you're doing. And guess what? I graduated with honors. I had straight A's. You know, it was like, I, all I had to do was keep showing up and keeping it bite-sized. And then I didn't get overwhelmed and feel like I needed to quit. Did you, did you ever get to a point internally throughout that process closer to graduation where when you would get the urge to call her or give up, you you'd be like, I'm so invested. I can't quit now. Like where you would start reminding yourself of that. You know, my support squad was critical. My husband at the time. So I had, I had, you know, met this amazing man and we, we got married and I, there were all these moments all literally to the, to the moment of accepting or not accepting my graduate school entrance. I was like, maybe I'll just coach gymnastics and have babies. Like, that's fine. That's a great life. And he was like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like every, my mom, him, everyone's like, no, I think that there's more in there. And I was like, I don't know. Like it was just, it was so scary because you know, what really happened was like, I was within, you know, I was like three feet from gold on my dream. And I was like, if I actually do my dream and I fail, like then what, if I'm setting the bar low and I'm falling short, then it's fine if I fail. Cause it wasn't even my dream anyway. But if I actually go after what I really, really want and I fail, I was like, I, I just couldn't even fathom the devastation of that. And everyone's like rolling their eyes and like, mm-hmm, cause you fail at everything. Right. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'll try it. And I was like, you just get started, just get started. Rebecca, just, just show up tomorrow. And like, that's how I got through those next crazy two years. I love it. I love it. Let me ask you a, another question along those lines that I'm fascinated by now looking back. A lot of times as we grow, as we build our self-awareness, as we become someone who's overcoming challenges, it's really hard sometimes not to look back and think, why didn't I do this at 18? Like what opportunities did I squander at 21 or at 24? For some people listening, they may look back and say, what did I squander in my mid thirties? How have you dealt with that internal voice? Has it shown up for you? And if it has, how do you keep reminding yourself that what you went through is what got you to this point now versus having to relive and play the what if game that gets very dangerous for us mentally? Yes. So it's interesting. I, I don't have that because I can so clearly see how everything is lined up. That strange detour I took into selling real estate became my best asset as I go into becoming an entrepreneur. So yes, I'm doing what I love, but now I know how to do sales. And now I know how to talk to humans. Now I know about marketing. Now I know about visual. Like I, so I'm like, that was not a waste. Those 15 years of coaching gymnastics are again, my biggest asset because I thoroughly understand, you know, the, the sport of gymnastics specifically from the perspective of a parent. Now the athlete, the coach, I have this like really in-depth understanding of the sport of gymnastics, the mechanics of it. And, and so I look at all these little detours that I took and I'm like, even that marriage, you know, that was that, that aha that I got of, I am, I'm playing to lose, playing not to lose 
completely changed my life. I mean, every, every mistake I've made in my life, I can clearly like connect the dots to it, getting me to this place in my life right now today. So I don't, I don't find myself getting caught up in that and regret. I just really don't because life couldn't be better. And it's, and it's purely because of the journey that I took, not in spite of it. Well, and I love that. And I love the fact that you just mentioned, you can look back at different pivot points along that journey. And and for a lot of people that might be living in that regret, they haven't taken the time to see what grew out of that situation or what they learned or how it changed their direction. They're just probably painting a rosier picture than it perhaps was. Um, because similar to you, I look at what I thought was my dream job and what I did a couple of years and it, and it ended terribly. But for me, I'm like, well, if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have taught myself these essential skills like you did in real estate that I use now. And and so you have to look back in some of those painful moments and start identifying how those dots connect. So I was curious on your end, one of the things you just mentioned right there that I know has been a theme in your life is playing not to lose versus playing to win. And we think about that in sports, about how we get super tight sometimes when you're, we're afraid of losing. Yeah. But as you just shared, it carries over into life. And, and I'm curious from your perspective, how you talk to adults about how we shift our perspective, what the differences are in playing not to lose versus playing to win, and, and how we try to reframe our situation so we become more focused on winning than not losing. Yes. Okay. Now this one's, this one's tough. And so I know I'm a very goal oriented person. So I have like my whole whiteboard full of goals above me that are very specific and big and amazing and scary. And so I, I like to sort of walk this line with goal setting of like, we start with the dream. Like, okay. I talked to my husband sometimes he's like, Oh, I have a good job with benefits. And he's got like the, you know, the golden handcuffs of like, wah, wah, I get home and be with my children. I get five weeks of paid vacation. I'm like, there's a lot of good that comes from this, but he's like, you get to do your dream. Ho hum. <laughs> so, <laughs> Same so I conversations with, with my spouse all the time. <laughs> yeah. So, so I talked to him. I'm like, okay, well, what would you do? You know, so I, so I encourage like dream it up dream, like write, get out a piece of paper and write down, like if everything fell into place in the most magical possible way, where would you be in five years, 10 years? Like make it up. I do this with kids too. I'm like, don't censor yourself. Just like make it up. Where would you be? And then you just sort of like go crazy. What's possible? Cause a lot of the time, like our brains are wired to make us look at roadblocks, obstacles, and reasons why it wouldn't work to keep us safe. So if we purposely take a, just a little detour and go, well, what's possible? if everything worked out and you just sort of see what comes out. I love doing this with a vision board too. I do this sort of annually or semi-annually where I sit down with a stack of magazines. You have to find them on Craigslist because nobody has magazines. Nobody has them anymore, (laughs) but they exist. I promise. And then I just start flipping through and I'm like, Ooh, Ooh. And I just like whatever appeals. And I have, I've had things pop up on that vision board. Like the graduate was something that I put on a, a a vision board before I went back to college. I was like, I'm not going back to college. That's weird. Why would I put that there? It's sort of like my intuition was like, girl, that's possible for you. And so I- I'm (laughs) laughing because immediately what pops into my mind is the movie, The Graduate. And I'm like- (laughs) At first I was like, well, that's an interesting one. And then I'm, yes. I'm with you now. Okay. But it's like, you never know what that image yeah. is going to mean, but you throw it on there and then you're like, oh, whoa, that came true. Or I have, now I have that haircut that I put on there randomly three months ago. It's like, 
it's, I feel like if you can take those times to check in with your intuition and be like, what do I really want? What's appealing to me? And then if you go through and you, you then like cut it back a layer and you, you cut off, like you get rid of half the things on your list, you get rid of half the images in that stack and you just kind of keep pruning until you're like, yeah, that would be really cool. Okay. So then you've got this, like, okay, I have this huge image for my life. The perfectionist is going to be like, you're going to fail. That's not going to work. I don't know how that's even going to, this doesn't make sense. And then you, you sort of, you shelf it a little bit and just work on like what you said, the progress you just, okay. If you're going to take one step toward, you know, my husband who's like, oh, I'd love to flip houses for a living. Like, okay. Is that even a thing? Like, I don't know. And so we're like, well, let's just get more information. And then he found this course and then he starts doing it. And then it's like, next thing you know, this guy's flipping a house. This was something that never even occurred to him as a possibility until we were like, well, what would you do if you could do anything? He's like, I just work on my house all day. And like, ironically, okay. you spent time in real estate. Uh, yeah. Isn't that interesting? So I'm the one running the comparables and I'm the <laughs> one, you know, doing the spreadsheet. It's like, there is no coincidence, right? So, so that, so you like dream big, prune it down, and then just start taking little actions that move you in the right direction. And then there's one little extra component that I require for you to like have a successful process with this. And that is a self-acceptance goal that, you know what, if I don't quit my job at the water district and become a professional full-time house flipper, I still love and accept myself. And I'm proud of myself for the journey, but that, as long as that piece is there, it's like, it takes the pressure off and you can just go see what's possible. Man. And, and I love that as you said it, because where my mind immediately goes is youth sports and loving and accepting yourself as a high school gymnast, if you never make the Olympics, but you love the process and the journey and the teammates and knowing your parents loved the same and supported the same versus, well, it's a disappointment if you didn't go to OU and do gymnastics or something like that. Yes. So that the parallels, which is why we love the show of, of sports and life is so incredibly important there. I want to ask you a question. I'm, I'm curious if you could hit on briefly the self-acceptance incredibly crucial. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions around accepting yourself and wanting to strive to do better. Mm -hmm. And I believe myself that one in the same, like if I accept myself, I love myself. I'm grateful for this opportunity. I want to make the most of it coming from a gratitude standpoint. I don't want to just be content. Where does that line fall for you? And I'm curious how you, how you balance self-acceptance versus maybe complacency where I think there becomes a disconnect and a myth between the two. Yeah, this, it's really interesting that you asked this because I just had another big aha recently. So I'm in a mastermind group with other business professionals. I always am aligned with people who have what I want. That's one of my values is like, if I want something, I got to hang out with people who have it. They're going to teach me how to get it Yep. through osmosis, through asking questions, through their support. And so I hang out with all these women who are million dollar CEOs and I'm not a million dollar CEO yet. So I felt like I was failing. Basically, I'm in, I'm like, oh, I'm failing because I'm not there yet. I'm not on, I'm like, maybe I'm on track, but I'm just not there. And I had this moment maybe a month ago where I was like, you know what? I don't want to be. What I, and what I've been able to create in my business is time freedom that allows me to raise my little babies. You know, I have been through a pandemic able to work so few hours a week because of the way that I structured my business that I'm like, that to me is worth a million bucks. And so I had to look at, I had to get real about what are my actual values? Is it this like fake dollar amount that like 
<laughs> doesn't really even mean anything to me personally. Yep. My needs are met. My kids are mothered. Like, why am I? And so what I did was I was like, okay, I literally wiped off half of my whiteboard of goals. I just wiped it off all of the next five and 10 years. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to wipe it off and be like, peace, love, and happiness. I literally wrote peace, love, and happiness on there. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to be okay with this certain amount. And anything above that is fun and bonus. And so I am a big fan of what I call cherry on top goals where you're like, okay, I can get that skill on the medium beam, but if I'm really on fire, let's hit it on the high beam this week. And so that way you feel like you've hit it. You're still free to thrive and succeed and go beyond, but you don't have to be up against your own perfectionism. And you can actually have a sense of success as you're climbing. And for me, like, I just don't, I don't think I maybe even ever need to be a million dollar CEO in one company, maybe in two, maybe three, maybe the house flipping thing. Like I'm, I've basically opened my mind and, and come to this acceptance of like, everything I have is amazing. And from this point, it's all bonus. And I swear the moment that I had that realization of the best month ever in my business. I love it. I was like what? Like, how does that even work? Well, <laughs> you know? And it's funny because even if you hadn't had that best month of, of business, your mindset and peace around it would have been yes. different because you redefined what success you wanted versus what you thought you should be pursuing. Yes. And it made me a better mom. It made me a better business owner. It made me, I mean, everything about my life became more effortless in that one decision to accept life as being just enough, exactly as it is. And it doesn't ever need to get any better for me to be totally happy. And then it's, and then the universe is all, all right, cool. Here's a little more. <laughs> Good job, Rebecca. Here's a little extra on your plate. Okay. Now you've passed level you one. You figured it out. Go. <laughs> yeah. Love it. I love it. So tell me a little bit about the work you do right now. I know you work with a lot of youth athletes. Obviously gymnastics is your wheelhouse, but tell me uh, about the athletes, the ages you work with, and a little bit more about what you do currently on a daily basis. Yes. So we, so I've created over the last five years, an online training program for young athletes. And so when I was dealing with my fear and my mental blocks, I was the only kid in my gym who struggled. I don't think I was, but I felt like I was. So the element of community was really important. So I started working one-on-one -on -one with athletes and helping them through their mental blocks and their fears and the things that I went through. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing the same six sessions over and over and over. It's literally the same solution. So why don't I get them together so that they don't feel so alone? And then they all work through it together. They all support each other. So I created this group training element. So now it's basically, it's called the perform happy community. It's not all gymnasts. It's a lot of gymnasts, mostly, mostly girls, not all girls age, you know, 12 to 16. And they're all these high, strung perfectionists, people pleasers who are kind of like high anxiety who come together and learn how to play to win without getting stressed. The parents have resources because there's a really big support squad component that I, I always encourage uh, coach resources. So it's this sort of evolving community where athletes can come and not just get their skills back, but also build lasting confidence that, and I look at sport like this little dot on the line of life. And this is, it's sort of like we're Trojan horsing in all these life strategies that yes, they help you perform better now, but they're going to ultimately allow you to be happy, healthy, successful long-term. Love it. I love it. Well, it's, it's funny you said that because 
we have a raising competitors podcast that has gotten a little dust on it because I haven't had bandwidth to focus on it, but it's, it's around youth sports um, and some of these conversations. And we tell everyone it's to help you raise healthy, happy competitors. I um, mean, that's just the conversations, but for me, and, and I'm open with this, a lot of people, it's a Trojan horse to be like youth sports suck in a lot of ways because of the parents. And we want to help parents be better at raising youth athletes and behaving yes. at sporting events. So this is how we're going to politely put this in front of you. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So I get it. And I love a lot of us need that. We need the idea of, Hey, I'm going to help you on this, but what you don't understand is it's going to help you with life and, and the lessons all of us had playing sports growing up, whether we struggled with stuff like I did, like you shared, you did whether we excelled, like the things we learned at that time dramatically help us over the course of our lives and set us up for success. If we start to connect the dots of, Oh, I did this in gymnastics or football. Here's how the same thing applies over here in my work. It it just can change how we position ourselves and and impact and influence where we want to go and what we want to do. So uh, I love that piece. So where's the best place for audience members that are especially parents or for some of those younger athletes listening to get connected and find out more? Yes. So my website, completeperformancecoaching.com is a great hub. So you can check out everything that we're up to. We have a blog. I go live on Facebook all the time. So complete performance coaching. You can find us on Facebook, tons of free resources, tons of blog posts, all about just optimizing that youth sport experience. So that's a great way to find me. And then hop on the newsletter. We're going to do a free challenge in August. So that is all it's for athletes to come and we call it the champion mindset challenge. And they just sort of like up-level their thinking. Like you said, that we reframe it. We get a goal in place. We get them excited. And then they go into their, you know, their school sports season, really energized and excited. So hop on the newsletter list so you can get that notification when we go live with that. Yeah. And, and what better timing than starting that in August, right? As the school year starting as sports are going back and honestly, what a competitive advantage for your kid to be able to build that mindset going into a new season, especially considering everything that's gone on the last two years, as we've talked about on the show before, there's a lot of people that are returning to life as normal, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. uh, with the idea of, Oh man, that sucked. You know, hopefully I don't see anything like that again. And there's people that are going to come out of it that say that wrecked me. That sucked. I want to be more mentally resilient and prepared when something inevitable happens again in the future. How can I start learning and building it? And and this is a great resource for helping them from a sports standpoint. That's really going to help them in life be more resilient and focused and mindful as they go about the challenges that are inevitable. So heavily want to encourage everyone to get signed up for the newsletter. So you learn about that and we'll be linking to all of it in the show notes for sure. Rebecca, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate just your vulnerability today and taking the time to to talk through a lot of this stuff from your journey and story. And I think it's been incredibly helpful for our listeners. So really appreciate you coming on the show this week. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. To join the Morning Competitor Club, text COMPETE to 972-945-9113 and use the code PODCAST to get 15% off any order at competeeveryday.com anytime. Until next time, keep showing up, keep competing. I'm cheering for you, competitor.